Hello and welcome to Rise of Humanity. I am your host, Chris Karamaya. And today I'm joined by my guest, Ellen Tad. Ellen is an internationally recognized clairvoyant counselor and author of the fantastic new book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. Ellen has a wealth of expertise in her field, having worked with some 30,000 clients in private counseling sessions and provides workshops and classes to help people cultivate greater awareness and deeper levels of perception for navigating the human experience. So Ellen, it's wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> yes, I've looked into your way and I've been going through your book and it's, uh, it's such interesting uh, such interesting work that you're contributing to the world. So uh, it's great to be able to talk to you today. So um, if we just jump right in, could you begin, I mean, I've been reading through your book, um, which is a, a guidebook to life on earth. Could you begin by giving us kind of your overview on what the human experience and life on earth is about? And we come into this world, we have a lifetime, we leave again. What is um, the aim in your view? Well, if I can talk a little bit about what brought me into this um, in the first place, mm -hmm. um, it, it would give some context. Um, I was raised by my father, who was a physicist, so I grew up in a scientifically oriented household. I was not raised with religion, but I was a sensitive child. I had um, clairvoyant experiences as a child, which actually is not that unusual. Many children have experiences. I had out-of-body experiences, but what made my uh, childhood challenging was my mother had a severe case of MS, and as a little sensitive child, I was always asking, why? Why, why is life as it is? Why is my mother sick? Why is one person sick and one person well? And I kept mm -hmm. wanting to understand, is there any order to life? And I was aware... Um, that there was order in nature. And so I was searching and naturally philosophical. And it wasn't until I was 19 when my mother came back and talked to me after she died. She had been dead for two years. And, you know, I, I had no conception of whether life after death existed. Uh, all I knew was that I had a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And so my mother actually came through a transmedium who was my brother's girlfriend at the time, and she knew nothing about my childhood. And I could see my mother superimposed over her. And with great effort, she spoke and she said, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, no matter how things appear on the surface, you will see there are reasons and there really is justice. And it was really like a veil was lifted. And that's why the first sentence in my book is my mother gave me birth and my mother gave me rebirth. Because after that, I saw everything differently. I stopped fighting my natural clairvoyance and sensitivity. And I saw that everyone was spirit on earth temporarily and that we all had reasons for being here. And then I had an intense 10-year period of being trained by magnificent teachers in the spiritual world who said, we're going to teach you how to be a sensitive and an insensitive world 
So they have given me tools and techniques and a philosophy of life, which has helped me personally and now many of my students. So I guess to answer that first question, I see that we're spirit and we're human and that we're in a creative process called life. And we're all in an evolutionary process, learning how to actualize our spiritual nature. And unfortunately, we live in a world where so often people have forgotten who they are and uh, what life is about. Mm, yeah, well, thank you for sharing. That's a wonderful, uh, wonderful overview. Um, so when we have this life and what happens in it and what we choose to do, um, you have this interesting um, where you talk about in your book in terms of destiny is um, short leash and long leash destinies. Um, could you expand on that and what it means and how it um, applies to life? Yeah. So again, I, I think I'll back up a little to explain that my guides who've been my teachers talk about the relationship between the spirit, the soul and the personality. They say that the spirit, which resides in all of us, is a spark of the God force. It's a spark of the creative force of the universe. And this is the only part of our nature that's constant. Everything else is evolving and changing. And the spirit uh, is contained by the soul. I should say that, you know, everyone's spirit has an individual emphasis, such as creativity or wisdom. And then the soul is the container of the spirit. And I make a distinction between those two concepts. The soul is very complicated and it's evolving. It contains all of our past life patterns, traumas, talents, and skills that have accumulated through all of the many lives we've lived. And in the soul, there's a concept that I call first error or the original attitude that was not in harmony with our spiritual nature. So another way of thinking about this is that we all started out with an enlightenment, which simply means we were able to manifest and feel and express our spiritual nature with consistency. And then we lost it. We had an original fear, an original confusion that disconnected us from our spiritual nature. In Christianity, they call it original sin. But what I found in my visions and in the teachings from my guides is it's not the same for everyone. We have our own brand of confusion and fear. <laughs> so um, I call it first error. And then over the soul is our personality, our persona in the world, which is influenced by genetics, conditioning from parents, society, and education, that's where typical psychology stops, nurture and nature. And I add past life influences and influence from the spiritual essence. My guides say that fulfillment is when the spiritual essence manifests at the personality level. Mm -hmm. And that our two biggest challenges that block us from doing that are our fears and confusions from past lives and cultural conditioning that doesn't support our spiritual nature, that confuses us. And I actually feel that that is the bigger challenge, cultural confusion. 
So as far as destiny and choice, which is linked to your question, I have a whole chapter in my book about destiny and choice. To me, the question, what is destined and what is choice, is the most interesting question of all. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is that when we incarnate in order to learn and to create and to um, contribute, we have different paths. And some of us have different lessons. We have different lessons. So when a person's lesson is linked to developing self-esteem and confidence, it may be that they have a lot of creative choice because they're here to learn to become initiators and not be so passive. If someone has a lesson that deals more with trust and patience, then they may have much more destiny where they need to not try to take charge, but really allow life to unfold. And so this is why I say the only rule is attunement, because attunement aligns our conscious mind with our spirit, and then we can discern, do we act or do we wait? Do we initiate or do we become patient? Because it's, it's different for each of us, given the circumstance we find ourselves in. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. And so, as you said, the... The spirit is as it is and the soul is kind of in evolution and the personality changes but what i mean what's the i don't know if you have an insight into this but what's the the bigger picture the bigger aim going forward are we to if the spirit is as it is and pure do is the aim to kind of become a a complete being of spirit soul and personality all kind of intermingled into one? Is there like a, an end goal to it, do you think? Well, um, what I've been taught is that originally we were all one. And I believe that science or physics and metaphysics have no contradiction. They're just an extension of each other. One is the nature of physical reality and one is the nature of spiritual reality and how they intersect. So um, I do believe in the Big Bang Theory. And what I've been taught is that originally our spirit consciousness exploded into creative expression because we had a desire to create and to express. So the original purpose of life in its evolutionary form was a creative venture. Mm. But there are certain laws that govern our universe. And as people forgot their, their deeper nature, become, became disconnected from it, then people moved into imbalances, um, reactions, fears. So we stopped actualizing our being. It's, it's kind of like a, an oak tree trying to be a daisy. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't go very well. Yeah. So, so now, um, rather than just being a creative venture, life on the earth has become more of a school. Mm. A school to regain our connection with a deeper understanding of life, to regain 
a deeper understanding of our own individual identities. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion. This is why I'm such a proponent of deep meditation as a way to regain this deeper understanding. And so, as you know, I once said to a guide, so are we all going back to oneness? And my guide said, it's so far into the future, don't even worry about it. Right. Just put your focus on actualizing your spiritual nature and helping others to do the same. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I completely get that. It's totally makes total sense. It's very clear. Yeah. So um, in terms of incarnating then, and you talked about the, the first error there, and you also talk about... Um, this karmic snowball. So are we kind of continually incarnating, incarnating into circumstances which will trigger these errors in our perception to kind of you know, activate lessons so we can begin to learn and remember? Is that kind of how you see it working? Yes. I, I always say that uh, we all get set up in our childhood right. to work on our lessons so that our childhood circumstance if it's challenging, is not usually the origin of the challenge, but it rather um, reinstates it. Okay. So we can we can work on the issues in our soul. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so when we choose to, you know, incarnate into the next lifetime, is that kind of... I mean, the way you've seen it and looked into it, is it chosen kind of out of a, like an unconscious like reaction to, you know, I've got this you know, so kind of consumed by a soul wound or are we continually, you know, as we leave the earth and come back, are we continually making choices from a, a higher kind of spiritual perspective or we, is it very, are people very much still consumed in the, in the human um, experience? Well, I, the analogy I use to explain this is um, when you have a first grader, uh, they don't usually create their curriculum and they're told, you know, what their curriculum is going to be. Right. If you have a graduate student, they usually create their own curriculum. So depending on the awareness of the individual who's in the spiritual world, there is, um, you know, a connection to how much the individual is a part of the decision-making process. Mm. So it can be that they're told, okay, there's your shoot. <laughs> Have yeah. a nice life. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, they can be very much a part of the process. And so it varies greatly. Yeah. Okay. But it's always... Um, with the intention of opportunity for learning, healing, and contributing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for people who are trying to work this stuff out, I mean, obviously, you know, they could work with someone like you, but I mean, if they didn't have that, you know, opportunity at this time, what are some ways that people can be able to understand their soul patterns and life lessons if they're kind of beginning to have this awareness that there's, you know, something more going on? Well, it's one of my motivations in writing the book, The Infinite View, is a lot of the material in that book 
is linked to a course I've been teaching for 30 years. So people can access it through the book. But there are some fundamentals that um, are tools that I emphasize, such as, you know, my particular approach to meditation. You know, there are different ways to meditate. And also, I'm, you know, I'm a strong proponent of what I call clear perception, because how we perceive informs how we feel. And too often people's perceptions are influenced by cultural conditioning. Mm -hmm. So this is why meditation, which is deep listening, and the activation of the third eye chakra in the middle of the forehead, which is deep looking, are ways to deepen one's perception to include a spiritual view. Right, yeah. And so I think you talk about this in your book um, in terms of you you can get to a point where you can live simultaneously kind of in the human self and the spiritual self. Um, And it's kind of an aim to be able to kind of to run those two parallel side by side while on earth. Is that um, a possibility in your opinion? Yes. I call it living a multidimensional life. Okay. And Personally, I feel that if I only had a human perspective, things would feel pretty um, upsetting to me. Yeah. Because our world is in a very difficult time. But when I add the spiritual component and I see the meaning beneath the challenges, that transforms it from negative to positive. As my guides say that the way you transform adversity into positivity is through the process of learning. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I can definitely see, and see that from the most, you know, the most positive people and the more aware people, you can see kind of order in the chaos. And if you, yeah, if you do just focus on, on those, negative aspects that's all you will see but yeah there's definitely a uh, a higher perspective so in terms of dealing with the these human very human challenges i mean you mentioned about the meditation is that something that you can you know just use i mean obviously you can't meditate all day is there any tips you can give on people maybe who would like have a hit of overwhelm or they're struggling with anxiety to kind of get into that higher state of being Yes, yes. I'd like to talk about how I teach meditation and also the third eye, because the third eye is so remarkable, as as I understand it. So um, meditation is now a popular term, and it means different things to different people. For me, it means being able to still our brain chatter at will and be able to listen deeply. Mm-hmm. So when I teach meditation, I... I explain it as an X, and the bottom part of the X is everyday thought, brain chatter. The point in the center is stillness, and the upper part of the X is revelation. It's connection with the spirit within and without. That's this multidimensional experience that I was talking about. I recently taught a class, and a woman is learning to meditate, and she got to that stillness and then for her in that moment the experience of the upper part of the x was she was flooded with the feeling of unconditional love Mm. 
And that was an outer dimensional connection. So the key to having a great meditation is the opening of the crown chakra. Uh, I wrote a little book about the chakras as well because I spent a couple of decades watching them clairvoyantly and I wanted to understand how do they work in everyday life. And this to me, um, you know, felt more important. You know, if you Google chakras, there's oodles of books on chakras. Yeah. <laughs> How often I think they're too esoteric and they're not practical. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to understand how do they work. And the crown chakra is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. Yeah. The crown chakra is the way that we access the spiritual dimension. And what closes it is discouragement, worry, and a severely closed crown chakra is what I define depression to be. Okay. And so it's literally depression in the aura. And what opens it is inspiration, trust, and devotion. So I tell people, before you meditate, Focus on something that inspires you, that wows you, that opens the top of your head. And this will be the prerequisite to having a meditation that gives you a connection to the spiritual level. And then the second step is to use a positive affirmative statement. I usually tell people to say, I'm spirit, I'm infinite spirit, because it's a practice to be able to say one thought in the process of learning to have no thoughts and also the feeling of cultivating positivity through a positive affirmative statement and then working to hold the mind still. And it's a kind of rocking sensation where you hold your mind still, then you go into the affirmation, mm -hmm. then you hold your mind still, then you go into the affirmation and gradually you elongate the pause and you train the mind to be able to, at will, turn off the brain chatter and listen and connect. And, you know, when people are learning how to do this, I say, you know, sit down and do this the same time every day until you get the skill. Once you get the skill, gosh, you can, you know, I have students who will meditate for five minutes before a meeting and they'll be connected or um, five minutes after a long day and their quality of family life goes up. It, it doesn't have to be long. It's kind of like digging a well. And once you hit water, then you can just refresh yourself with that connection. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, building, building the connection. Yeah. And then everything just becomes easier. So can is this, um, so is this a tool that people can use as well to break patterns in their life um, for you know, past life patterns, karmic patterns as well? Because life, a typical example that always comes to mind for me is people continually attracting wrong relationships and they're stuck in, stuck in a pattern or maybe they're stuck in continually attracting you know, bad friendships or a bad job. Can, how can people begin to kind of understand those patterns and work through them. Can they use your meditation technique for that as well? Well, what the meditation technique does is help people let go of preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. And so often our preconceived notions confuse us or limit us. And so the meditation 
has a way of taking us deeper. Yeah. But my favorite tool for navigating life on a day-to-day level is the use of the third eye. So the third eye chakra, which is located in the middle of the forehead, is the center of wisdom. It's the center of discernment as well as clairvoyance. And what I've found through observing people's energy is that when people focus, quite literally, out of the middle of their forehead, their wisest self comes to the forefront. Mm. In sports, they call it the zone. And this is deep focus where we become our best selves. So what really confuses people, I see energetically, is living life focused in the gut. And whoever said follow your gut, I think really gave a wrong instruction (laughs) because the gut is not a bad center, but it's the center of emotion. And the third eye is the center of spiritual perception. And perception should inform our feelings. And if we live in the gut, it's like feeling our way through life. We're more vulnerable. And, you know, not all of our feelings are trustworthy. Some of them come from fear and some of them come from clarity. And so as people learn to live life looking through their forehead, they don't repress their emotions, they transform them. So someone may go from anger to compassion, not because they're trying to, but just as soon as you shift your perception, you see things differently, which changes how you feel. So... Um, The third eye is like the miner's light that illuminates our path and helps us to make wise decisions. And it it protects us from being blindsided because we're able to see more objectively. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, you can completely change your outlook on in a single day just by kind of changing your belief of, you know, of seeing objectively. Um, Just for example, um, like a common one, I think today is people feel like they never have enough time and this illusion that they're they're constantly in a state of overwhelm and stress. And um, is is this something that they could use for that to maybe see life more objectively and understand that that's just their, their belief and that they can go, go about life in a more uh, coherent way? Yes. I remember once many years ago when I was feeling that way, my guide came to me and said, you have from now until eternity. (laughs) (laughs) And it was an attitude change, which was if you actually feel you have enough time, you stop rushing. And, um, you know, a, a pattern of pushing and rushing is so fundamental to why people often are disconnected from their spirit Mm -hmm. because in that place of pushing we don't have balance and without balance we can't attune to our spirit because it's it's like you know connecting to the radio and not quite having the channel dialed in yeah so my guides say uh don't push don't hold back but rather stay aligned. And the third eye helps with that alignment. And you see what happens in the solar plexus is that the solar plexus and the intellect are in cahoots. And 
people get this idea of what they're going to try to accomplish in a day. And from the third eye, they see it's unrealistic. You mm -hmm. can't be balanced and do as much as you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So there's a need to attune. I remember um, when I wrote my first book, which is called Death and Letting Go to help people through their fear of death. Um, I was meditating and my guide um, said, you know, go to Northampton, a local town and be leisurely. And I ran into someone I hadn't seen in five years and she bought her whole organization, a book, which immediately put me on the bestseller list. And, and it didn't happen from working hard. It happened from listening. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's, I suppose it's, it is a, a transition that has to take place because I think a lot of people would struggle. Like you said, it's a balance of not pushing, but not holding back. I think a lot of people would immediately if they stopped pushing would panic that they were holding back too much. And I suppose, is it, is it kind of a conditioning and it's, you know, just be patient, accept that it's going to take time before you really find a flow. And I suppose, especially meditating is really going to help you get into that place quicker every single day. Well, I think the other important point is the question is what's really most important and so what I've learned from my guides is the most important thing is actualizing my spiritual nature. That's what I've come to learn. And so if people say the most important thing is to, you know, be successful at my job or the most important thing is to have this person love me or the most important thing is to make more money, then it creates an imbalance. If we say that life has a deeper purpose, and the question is, how do I actualize my spirit? There's an emphasis change. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't work on our relationships or practically, you know, have enough money or, or work on our relationships, but the emphasis change means that sustaining balance, sustaining clarity, sustaining connection to the spiritual level is primary. And out of that, everything else unfolds. Wow. Yeah. Taking a completely different viewpoint. Yeah. So do you absolutely, and I suppose you teach this, that it's possible to be connected to the spirit first and then build your life around that rather than trying to get everything in place all the money and every, the job and everything and then think about spirituality you can go straight yes. to the spiritual self and build around that yes i mean that's that's been my devotion right you know i mean in in a practical example you know i was raised in an academic community by a professor and when my guide started to appear to me, I dropped out of college, which was considered the cardinal sin. And I remember when I was talking to, you know, an administrator at my college, he said, well, your ideas are great, but you're going to find you're not going to be able to get them in the world and you're not going to be able to make enough money. And I said, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact is that um, those have not been issues for me. And so what I try to do is help people to learn that they don't need to conform and they don't need to rebel. 
but rather be motivated by this internal clarity that is more universal than the culture we find ourselves in. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. So, um, I don't know if you have a kind of an overview of this, but how do you see the the uh, the kind of current phase of evolution for, you, for you, uh, that humanity's currently going through? Do you have like a view on you know what the uh, for example the next hundred years is going to bring? Do you have a bigger picture? Well, ever since my guides started to teach me, they said your world circumstance will worsen and that the tools we're teaching you are tools that you will teach others to help people navigate challenging times. And they said something really profound. They said, as your world circumstance worsens, people will fall to the side of fear or they will fall to the side of a spiritual perspective and no one will ride the fence. And I've meditated on that phrase for decades because I heard it so long ago. And, and I see that's what's happening, that we have a polarization going on. Mm -hmm. And this polarization is, you know, what motivates people to make the choices they make? Is it fear or is it clarity? Mm, yeah. Yes, I can. Uh, yeah, I completely see that as well. So it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting time. But um, focusing on the, the positive is obviously, uh, you know, what's going to pull people forward. So I'm interested in how you um, use your psychic gifts. I mean, obviously, you're very much in connection with your guys, and you can kind of read other people's, uh, you know past lives and you know energy and things like that so you just talk about um how the how the gifts work for you and how they manifest in your everyday life well when i first started open well i guess i should say it this way there's what i call inner vision and outer vision okay so inner vision is when we see something in our mind's eye you know if i say to you and the people who are listening to this, imagine what your bedroom looks like. You can be looking at the room you're in or talking to me, but you can still see in your mind's eye the details of your bedroom. So we all have a screen, an inner screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, Karen. Yep. No, go ahead. What were no, you no, no, no. No, carry uh, on. <laughs> okay. So inner vision is when vision comes and, you know, a, um, a student of mine just said, well, how do I know it's vision coming to me or me conjuring it up? Mm -hmm. And so if you imagine the bedroom, your bedroom, and then I say, okay, redecorate it, and you change it around, you can feel that the process of decorating your bedroom is very active, it's uh, like the cogs and the wheels of your creative mind are moving yeah. and it has a very active feeling. When you have a vision that comes to you versus created by you, it isn't active. It's very still and it comes and there's the picture and it's still. So I get lots of pictures given to me in my mind's eye. 
But when I first started working, the majority of my visions were external. So when they're external, it means that the room that you're in dissolves and another vision other than what you're seeing materially takes its place with your eyes opened. External visions are very dramatic and so convincing because you know you're not creating that. Yeah. (laughs) However, it's also not very practical because if you're having external visions, you can't drive, you often can't have a conversation. Uh, It's totally consuming. Mm -hmm. So when I was trained, I had a lot of external visions because I started out as a skeptic. So it was dramatic and convincing and vivid. And then as I became more confident it moved more to inner vision because with inner vision, I can be doing a lot of human things and also be getting information at this other level. So when I work with people, I am seeing often a movie in my mind's eye, giving me information. I often tell my clients, hey, I'm not that smart. You know, I couldn't know all this. (laughs) It wasn't being given to me. So, so that's one thing. The other is um, remote viewing, um, which is that, and I, and I talk about this in my book, you know, remote viewing, which is our consciousness is not contained within our body. It can be stretched. So, you know, I can, you know, my son lives in China and I can project my consciousness there and tell you how he's doing because consciousness can be stretched. So I teach people to stretch their consciousness and gather knowledge. And so if someone, you know, gives me the name of a person, I can stretch my consciousness into that name and tell you things about that person. So, you know, that's, that's a skill I actually use every day. And I, I think people all have this skill and they all use it, but they're not always conscious of the, of the fact that they are, you know, if, uh, if you are in a room and someone walks in the door and you look at that person, people will perceive that person in a variety of different levels, depending on what you're projecting into. Mm-hmm. And my guides say, what you focus on is what you see. So, you know, I can project into the cashmere sweater and feel how soft it is, or I can project in the liver and see if it's congested, or I can project in the soul and see the past lives. So the process of learning to project consciousness is is a profound and actually very simple tool once people get over the fact that they can't and really realize that they can, that spirit is that mutable. Yeah. And I imagine for your, and I don't know if you still do the the private counseling sessions, but I imagine that's such a powerful tool to give, you know, people a completely new level of insight into their, you know, their life, their life lessons that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get to so quickly. Well, I have a chapter in my book on the relationship between fear and desire. And so if people go in and meditate and say, what is my deepest fear? 
they hone in on their first error. And when people go into meditation and ask, what is my deepest desire? They hone in on their spiritual nature. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a very cool, cool way of doing it. And again, just helping you tap into that to spiritual self and soul patterns and understanding uh, what you're here to learn. So do you, Obviously, you mentioned about your classes and your workshops. Um, can you just talk about kind of overview, overview of some of the tools that people could expect to learn in those and uh, what, what they can expect to from attending one? Well, I'm in a transition. You know, at this point, I just have um, courses in Boston where I live. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really offering it to a wide audience other than through my books um, but, you know, all the things I've been talking about, I, I teach, um, you know, my form of meditation, my understanding of how the chakras function and what pe people can do to keep them healthy, you know, not so much, um, you know, color or sound, but really our, our thoughts, the way we focus, how do they function in everyday life, um, I taught a class yesterday where I was teaching people to learn how to project their consciousness and, um, and read um, lots of things. I once taught a course called You Can Read Anything. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I tend to stay away from the word psychic because I'm not emphasizing prediction. I'm emphasizing perception and uh, expanding it. And also uh, understanding who we are and uh, actualizing our potential. Um, and so the tools that I use that could be called psychic tools, I really just see as an extension of uh, our senses, going deeper into sight, going deeper into listening, going deeper into uh, feeling or smelling. It's, it's how to take it all an octave deeper so that we can access uh the spiritual as well as the material world yeah cool and so with the people that you work with and that you teach i mean are you do you generally just attract people who are kind of ready for this experience and is that the most important thing just to be you know have the belief that you can unlock these abilities and that you just you have them within you there they just need to be uh, uh just uh, released really well, I think one of the things that's so interesting for me is when I first started teaching, you know, which is 1984, most of the people who were drawn to me were, you know, real alternatively oriented. Mm -hmm. um, and now in my classes, you know, I have doctors and lawyers and um, politicians and yeah. um, musicians and people of all walks of life wow. because, um, you know, there's this desire to make meaning and to understand oneself. And, you know, this is the beauty of the challenges of our world is it's forcing people to search and to ask deeper questions. Mm, yeah, that's great. And it's great that you working with such a wide variety of people that's very cool um so there's a question that i like to ask all my guests on the interviews um 
and that is what would be your best advice on how people can contribute to the rise of humanity? It's a wonderful question. <laughs> um, well, I, I think it's, it's kind of reiterating what I had said, which is don't conform, don't rebel. Be the one who listens fully to your own spirit and let that guide you. And so the process of honing the skills to be able to access that clarity. You know, if we conform and others are confused, then we become confused. And if we rebel, then we're so in reaction that the tendency is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this process of finding this relationship with ourselves so that we can find personal authority. And you know, it's not that with personal authority that we'll be always right. We'll still make mistakes in our learning process. One of my favorite phrases is, I follow my convictions, whether they're right or they're wrong, they evolve and eventually they take me to balance and to truth. So be willing to make your own mistakes and learn from them rather than making the mistakes of others. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful advice and very powerful. And I think that's so true that, you know, even if you're making wrong decision and right one and a wrong one, again, everything, the way I see that life works is that everything will eventually lead to balance and lead you upwards. So um, that's uh, really cool that you uh, shared that there. So could you just um, talk, share with the listeners where they can find out more about you and, um, and your work and your books? I have a website, simply ellentad.com. T-A-D-D, -D. you know, I have a Facebook page and a Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I fortunately have a daughter who keeps me modern. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and my books. And I think what I love about having books is they can do the job uh, when I'm not around. So I have three books. My new one is The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. And then I have uh, The Wisdom of the Chakras uh, and also Death and Letting Go. And, you know, I'm so aware that I have a limited amount of time and um, I'm not available to do private sessions for everyone. But um, my books are tool books and many people read them and then reread them because because you know, there's the philosophy, but there's the tools and through repetition, that is the way we learn. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And the infinite view is a great book and I'll, um, I'm putting, uh, I'll put the link to that in the show notes and to your website so people can uh, you know, start looking through this and actually implementing them in your own life. As you said, not everyone has access to a, a private session, but you know, you can start using these tools today and making a change in your life. So yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that and um, it's, uh, I just want to say it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's been a, a great conversation and thank you for coming on and sharing this work uh, that you are doing. It's really um, very much what the world needs right now. So uh, thank you, Ellen, for coming on. Thank you, Chris. I, I so appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and 
um, and and you're in England, so you're, um, you're giving me uh, an exposure to a different group of people. So thank you so very much. That's absolutely fine. I'm sure I'll uh, absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, that is all for today, guys. I hope you've um, really enjoyed this episode and gotten some new insights and uh, knowledge and takeaways into the human experience and how to navigate it in a much more powerful way and be sure to check out Ellen's website her work and her books because it is very powerful stuff that you can implement in your life today to make a change so thank you all so much for listening and I'll catch you all next time take care bye-bye